up the next book, um, which is Revelation. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We're going to pick up in uh, the, the, the Psalms. <clears throat> and uh, over 150, 150 plus Psalms and broken into five books. Um, the first 50 Psalms, the majority of them were written by David. Um, and I'm going to go through uh, all five of the books. Uh, I'm not going to focus heavily on Psalm 119 because I've done an extensive study on that. You can pick it up and take a look at it. Um, there's a number of Psalms that are acrostics, which means that they, they go through the letters of the Hebrew alphabet and they're meant for memorization for children. Uh, tonight, um, and by the way, the Psalms are basically the hymnal of, of the Jewish faith. Um, we don't know what the music was. We see a lot of musical terms. We're not really sure what they mean even today because they're ancient terms. You have like mikta, and then you'll have selah and a number of other terms that will be in the Psalms. They're musical terms. We're not sure if they're to be sung. Some say sung with stringed instruments and the like, and there's notations, but they've come to be part of, of the canon of Scripture, even the notations of how they were to be sung. I imagine a, a large portion of them were on minor keys, which is common with the Jewish faith. Minor keys are very mournful, if you've ever heard minor keys. Um, the, uh, the hymn um, Amazing Grace is in, they, they call it the black keys, the, the minor keys of the piano, and uh, they're always mournful in that sense. Um, in addition, uh, as we go through the Psalms, some of them are what they call um, in, in, imprecatory psalms where uh, the psalmist is saying, God, kill these people. Uh, wipe them off the face of the earth. They're basically asking that God would move on behalf of the one writing the song uh, to annihilate and vanquish the enemy that they're up against. Uh, some of them are praise and worship. Uh, some of them are instructive. Uh, some are what they call pilgrims psalms where they're going up to the temple and their stages as you're, you're going up to Jerusalem, anywhere in Israel that you are, you're always going up to Jerusalem. So these would be songs as you're rising towards Jerusalem. Um, we'll even see the psalm that was sung at uh, the Last Supper, which was more than likely what they sang at the Last Supper. Uh, these are songs that Jesus would sing with his disciples. Um, it's, in a, it's probably the oldest hymn book we have. A lot of them have been put to music nowadays. You're going to see as we go through some of these, you're going to go, gosh, I've heard that song before. Um, and, and you'll see the songs that are sung today thinking, well, I always thought that, uh, you know, so-and-so wrote that. No, well, they, they didn't. And actually, there's nothing new under the sun. Anything that was written was given by God. He gets all the credit for it. Tonight, uh, we're not going to bite off a big chunk. Uh, we're going to just do one psalm, Psalm 1, one Psalm, Psalm 1. See, I played that. And uh, it's actually, uh, it, was a, it was the very first psalm I memorized. I, I love this psalm. Um, and it is, it's very instructive to the Christian life. And it, it coincides with a number of areas of Scripture that are uh, instructive as well. It's, it's a precious picture of, of the Christian life. Um, it begins much like the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 begin with the word blessed. And as we also know, that idea of blessed means, oh, how happy. Um, as we, we contemplate um, on Sunday's message and even the Sunday before, when we looked at this idea of liberty and we look at our founding fathers, uh, endowed certain inalienable rights endowed by our creator, life, liberty in the pursuit of happiness, uh, virtue, blessedness, uh, contentment. Uh, God, godliness with contentment is great gain, the scripture says. This idea of, oh, how happy means, oh, how blessed. And it, it takes on a connotation even deeper than happiness. There's a difference between happiness and joy. J joy is not based on your circumstances. Happiness is. I'm really happy because I'm going to go to Hawaii. And then they call and say, well, there's a hurricane and all tickets are canceled. Now I'm not happy anymore. I'm not going to Hawaii. But even in the midst of it, you can still have joy. As the Bible says, count it all joy that all things work together for good with those who, are, who, who love God and are called according to his purpose. So it's all joy. And you're, 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 you have joy because I'm not in the middle of that hurricane. Um, I'm still here to minister. God will orchestrate it for a blessing. You guys track that? So that's the difference between joy and happiness. I don't think Jesus was happy on the cross, but he, his joy was full because of the joy set before him. He endured the cross. He was going to go... Um, Stay on the sunny side, always on the sunny side. 
Stay on the sunny side of life. All together now. Boom, ba dum boom, boom, boom. Feel no pain. Yeah? No. No, it was hell. It was excruciating. All of the sins of mankind were dumped on him. The father was separated. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? No happiness in that. But joy. Why joy? Because he had you, 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 you. That's about it. On, no, I'm kidding. He had all of you on his heart because he was dying in your place and paying for your sins, hoping that one day you would say, God, I receive that which you've paid for me, the price you've paid to redeem me from the slave block of sin, and you've given me a life in Christ Jesus. You've overcome the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I receive that. I come off the slave block. I am now your slave. You are my master. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm now a slave to righteousness. And I come to serve you. He no longer calls us servants. He now calls us friends. That's a great master, isn't it? Takes the chains off and says, you're now a friend. Not only that, you're more than heirs. I'm going to give you my kingdom. That's a great blessing, yes? You come off the slave block. A master purchases you, pays the price, brings you into his home, says, you're no longer a servant, you're a friend. More than that, I have adopted you. Adopted you. I was watching this show about wills and people dying, and it's a mystery show and how they ended up. And there was one, Doris, um, she, uh, Lucky Strike Cigarettes, Doris, I want to say Day, but it's not. It's some, uh, Doris Duke, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Chuck. Doris Duke, she died and left, you know, $350 million, and she had, uh, you know, um, a struggle, and she left it to a butler. This, that's not the one. It was another one. This, I'm sorry. This is even better. Uh, uh, there was the guy who had created a textile firm in Massachusetts, and uh, he, had, he had had two children by his first wife, but had had an affair. Affair. I hate that word. I like to dress up and go to affairs. He had an adulterous relationship. Affair. Let's just have an affair. It's, it's a choice. It's an affair. It's a lifestyle. Sin, sin, sin. Amen. So as he was committing adultery with one of the workers in the textile mill, she became pregnant. They sent her off to France on business, and then she came back with a baby uh, and, and was given up for adoption. Well, um, they, he and his first wife ended up divorcing. He found this other gal. They married and went looking for the adopted child, found the adoptive parents, and married in Virginia so that they could sign the adoption papers, you know, so that she would not be considered a bastard child. The judge ruled against it and said she wasn't entitled to any of the estate. And then you go back to Doris Duke, who had adopted a daughter, and, and then when it came time to give the estate, she wanted to disadopt her daughter. And she said to the, to the judge, wait a minute, I divorced two men. Why can't I disadopt my child? And this is the beautiful thing about it in, in our law system. When you adopt, it's for life. There's no going back. You can't divorce your children. Amen. They're your blood. You have grafted them in. They are yours. Now, I often I tell Natasha, I said... I don't necessarily think you know what you were getting into when you said yes to us, but we knew what we were getting into. We knew it was for life and that you'd be our daughter no matter what decisions you'd make from here on out. And that's, that's the joy of it. When God adopts you, he's been placed in the Father's hand. No man can remove, right? That's the security, the believer's security. And some people say, well, I don't believe in that. I believe that you can, you know, you, you can walk away from God. Well, let me just tell you, the Bible says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I've told you that so you may know that you have what? Eternal life. If you can lose it, it was never eternal. I mean, that is the biggest no-brainer on the face of the earth. And the only reason why people mess with you in regards to eternal security is because they want to use it as a motivating factor to try to get you to do things they want you to do. If you're not tithing, you're in, you're in cahoots. You may lose your salvation, brother, sister. 
ain't going to happen. Now, how is it that you can receive Christ and then just go off and become a serial killer? Well, then the question would be, did you ever receive him to begin with? We'd, you know, just because you say some words doesn't mean, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue. I've, a lot of people have confessed with their tongue, not believed in their heart. That's between you and the Lord. And the beauty of it is God only gives you that security when you're walking with him, but the reality is it's always there. It's always there. We're going to cover that tonight. We're going to cover that tonight because the happiness is only found in the Lord. And there's two examples of this passage of Scripture that's going to bless you, I believe. I really do. One of, it's my, one of my favorite pictures in Scripture of, of, of this blessed life. This blessed life. Even when you fail to do what you've been called to do. So, enough said. Let's take a look at the passage of Scripture. You ready? Well, that was enthusiastic. <laughs> Bring it on, yeah. Uh, well, let me tell you a cute story first. You ever heard the story of the bird that came to the fisherman and saw that he had a can of worms and said, those worms look delicious? And the fisherman said, well, I'll tell you what, you give me a feather, I'll give you a worm. Well, <laughs> that would be lovely. And so the fisherman says, well, here's a worm, and the bird gives him a feather. Loves the worm, comes back and says, uh, you've got a whole can of those. You haven't caught much fishing. I'll give you another feather for another worm. Keeps giving him a worm for a feather, worm for a feather. Next thing you know, the bird comes back. He's just bald, no feathers left, fat as can be. And the guy's out of worms, but he's got a fat bird to eat, you know, and he just chops it up and consumes it. Yeah. Oh, we love animals. Yeah, we're postmodern world, right? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> 70 million babies gone, but oh, the bird. <laughs> You see how we get, okay, let's move on. I, that was a perfect example of what we're getting at here in the passage. <laughs> okay, yeah, ow, uh-huh, yeah. We're, go somewhere else if you don't want to be abused. <laughs> okay, where were we? All right, let's get to the passage. Blessed is the man, blessed is the man, oh, how happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Okay, we're going to stop there for a second. I've gone over this with you many times before, this idea of walk, stand, sit, walk, stand, sit, walk, stand, sit. It's, it's actually the opposite of when a baby's born. And we're praying that uh, Aaron and Janelle's baby's born. And when the baby's born, <clears throat> it it's, doesn't move much. And then the first thing a child does, learns how to sit up and spit up, but sit up. And it sits up, and then it starts to crawl, and then it starts to walk. And that's, that's progression, isn't it? But the deterioration of, of, of a human soul is, is the reverse of that, where you're, you're walking with this, the, a sinner, you're, 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 you're walking in the counsel of the ungodly, then you stand in the path of sinners, and then you sit in the seat of the scornful. And your whole life deteriorates into this. And you're destroyed. Satan is a roaring lion, roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I was thinking there's this, there's this picture of a, a courthouse, uh, I think it's in Michigan. If the, if the rain falls on the roof, if it goes off of this side, it drains into Lake Michigan. If it falls on this side, it ends up in the Mississippi River and goes down to the Gulf of Mexico. And depending on where it falls, it'll separate itself for thousands of miles. Now, I would just say this to you in relation to that illustration. When you wake up in the morning before your feet hit the ground... If you're not in the Word of God, your day is already dictated to the negative. It's that simple. You, you, have, you have already lost the counsel that God desires for your life. Every other, every other influence will, will have a play on you. You go, well, that's all right. I know how to handle it. Okay. In time, you're going to find yourself sitting in the middle of a mess, wondering what went wrong? Nobody wakes up and says, you know, today is the day I'm going to commit adultery and just screw up the whole family. This, today's the day I'm going to do that. No, no, the water starts at the roof and decides which side it's going to go. And then after you know, you're 3,000 miles from the Lord. You set out for Hawaii in a boat and you miss it by one degree, you miss it by 500 miles. The Bible is, is, is the sole source of truth in your life. It is not a game. 
Everything in the world seeks to influence you. And so the psalmist begins, of all of the praise and worships, of everything, they're saying, listen, you want to be happy? Do you want to be happy? Is there anyone in the room who doesn't want to be happy? Anyone? I'm going to give you the secret to happiness. I mean, we go into bookstores, don't we? And we can't, oh, 12 steps to happiness. Oh, 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 oh. I'll buy two, two. You, you, you are, it's like you're a sucker. You're worse than a fish. Oh, look at that worm, looks like a J again. I'm asking you, do you want to be happy? This isn't a joke. If you really, really want to be happy, pay attention. And I'm speaking to myself as I'm speaking to you. The most miserable times in my life have when I've not picked up the word of God. The times where I've been the happiness in my life is when I've had a vibrant time with God. Now listen, not preparing for a Sunday sermon. I know what it's like to, to preach a solid sermon on a Sunday and have no quiet time with the Lord where my heart is a thousand miles away from the message. I'm preaching the message in obedience, but I have no intimacy with God. Have you thought, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, okay. Like you haven't. We've all been there, yes? Here's the picture. Blessed is the man, and it begins with, you want to be happy? These are the things you don't do. Do you want to be happy? These are the things that you don't do. Write them down. First of all, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. No Dr. Phil. No Oprah. No Judge Judy. No horoscopes. Hello? No Fox News. No CNN. Does that mean you can never watch it? You can watch it filtering it because you've already spent time with the Lord and you're using it to understand what the world's about. And he's called you to it. But if you're going to seek your counsel before you spend time with the Lord, you are in trouble. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Number one. Number two, don't stand in the path of sinners. Don't stand in the path of sinners. Standing means you're walking along, you're talking, you're like, you're intrigued. You go, oh. It's kind of like you're surfing. You're walking through the mess. And then, oh, oh, that looks interesting. (laughs) And then you sit down for a season to take it all in. And what happens is you sit in the seat of the scornful, the mockers. Now, I I jumped on you a little bit earlier ago when I did the whole bird trick. And you, you guys were just brokenhearted. Almost like when the Navy SEAL talked about having to break the neck of the dog. And the whole place went, (gasps) Remember that? We had people get up and leave. Mm-hmm. In Washington, D.C., in Washington, D.C., right now, because all of the money's being funneled to Washington, D.C., and there's millionaires everywhere, we're getting poorer, they're getting richer. In Washington, D.C., right now, in a very posh suburb, there's a park. There's a park. And this is one of the marks of a decline of, a, of Western civilization in a postmodern world when you're walking away from the Lord. You no longer want to endeavor with people because they're irritating. Yes? And especially your kids. Boy, they're a real pain, aren't they? And nobody wants to have kids anymore because they require that we serve them. So, in this posh neighborhood in Washington, D.C., there was a fight in the, in, 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 is a gated community, and uh, they brought it before the housing authority of this gated community that children shouldn't be allowed in the park because it's for our dogs. Some of you in the room are going, why? Well, yes, I agree with this. I... Well, the children pester the dogs. How do we get to that place? Where we're more concerned with a baby fur seal 
and a California condor egg than we are with 70 million babies being aborted. Yeah. We worship the creation rather than the creator. Yeah. We've exchanged the truth for a lie. It's a proverbial frog in the pot of water. Gets hotter and hotter and hotter and it just relaxes and it boils to death. Right? People say, Pastor, you need to be a little more open-minded. Okay, all right. right, Let me give you an example of your thought. I'm going to invite you over to my house for a sumptuous five-course meal. Okay? And I'm going to have it laid out. I mean, we're talking, you know, I I make these things called salt steaks. Amazing. I'm going to put a lobster tail with it. I have this Mexican village salad dressing that's to die for. Some people have tried it. I'm going to start with ceviche that I make. I've got to desert my wife. Oh, <laughs> All of it, laying it out for you. And you're looking at it. You've come. You're hungry. You've been thinking about this all week. You come to my house, and there it is. I mean, you are salivating. I go, I'm so excited you're here. I just wanted to let you know that in the process of time, my son came in from the backyard. And he got some dog dew on his foot. <laughs> And a big chunk of poo fell in one of the dishes, and I'm not sure which one it is. But I think it's been cooked out. But Lord bless you. Let's just pray and have a bite to eat. What do you say? You're like, well, I'm, I'm going to go down the street to get some Taco Bell. <laughs> you wouldn't eat it. If I were to say I dropped some cyanide in one of the dishes. But it, should, it shouldn't be an issue. You wouldn't eat it. Wait a minute, you're supposed to be open-minded. Why not open-mouthed? You're guarding your stomach and your life with your mouth. Guard your heart and your soul with your mind. Why wouldn't you have a check and balance to guard what goes in? You don't walk with them, you don't stand with them, and you certainly don't sit with them. And, And the context is they're the ones dictating what is being spoken about. You call the shots. Let them walk with you. Let them listen to you. Let them be connected with you. That's what you don't do. Here's what you do. Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. The law means the word. Law, precept. If you go through Psalm 119, there's, there's six different ways to describe the word of God. But law just simply means this is the authority in your life. It's the word of God. But his delight, his joy is in the law of the Lord. And look at this. And in his law, he meditates what? For most of you, here's what your Bible reading consists of. Yeah, this has been a long day. Pastor Rob says I'm supposed to read and do the one-year Bible. <laughs> okay, what do we got here? We got... Blessed uh, is the... Um, that was fruitful what do we got here dad a regular Chuck Spurgeon (laughs) I'm sorry that was a you're not going to learn anything doing that there's no meditating you know what meditating means in the concept of this passage chew cud like a cow eating its cud it's got multiple stomachs you never see a cow bend down eat some more he just sits there You just look at a field and they're just standing there going. You're like, what in the world? You don't even see it go. And then it swallows you. You're like, whoa. And then it's chewing again. You never saw it take any more grass. It's got like six or seven stomachs. Five, sorry. Goes into one. And then. Don't remember having eaten that. And then down it goes again. And every stomach takes more nutrients out until it gets to the fifth stomach. And then you can make clay out of it. Let's make a house. There's nothing left in it of nutritional value. It has sucked everything out of it. That's what God's saying. You meditate on it. How about this one? Be still and know that I am God. How would you meditate on that? 
be. He's never present help and be. Be attitudes. Be focus. Be still. Peace be still. He calmed the raging seas. He'll give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. Be still. And know. Right? That God, that I am God. You could meditate on that and chew on it and swallow it and bring it up again and get some more out of it. That's meditating. That's delighting in the word. Have you ever had a meal where you take it and you just took a bite of that and you just, oh oh my gosh, every bite is delicious. And your salivation glands are just going nuts and your eyes are watering from delight and your head's cocked back and you're moaning as you're eating. This is gone. This is sumptuous. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. So he says, delight in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Day and night. Pastor, I, 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 I fall asleep. Well, then go to bed earlier. And don't stay up so late. I remember as I was talking to uh, the, the pastor at Calvary Chapel, Santa Maria, Paul Barry. He said, these guys led me to the Lord that were chicken farmers when I was at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, or excuse me, Cal Poly Pomona. And I, I, there was the only place I'd get room and board, so I worked in the chicken farm. He said, and these two guys, I had renounced God, and these two guys, they would, we have to start work at 5.30 in the morning. These guys would get up at 4.30 to be in the Word. I always thought they were insane. And they finally turned to me as the junior guy, and they said, you're not allowed to drink, you're not allowed to smoke, and you've got to get up with us in the morning to read. The hell I am, I'm not getting up at 4.30. And so they, they couldn't enforce that, but he was 5.30, and these guys would get up, and they'd be all happy and chipper, and they'd get the eggs done. He's like, Arr. Finally, after a while, with emptiness in his heart, he saw that these men would awaken with a joy and a delight to be in the Word. If, if, listen, if you came to me and you said, Pastor, I got cancer, and the doctor said I can beat it, but I got to go to chemotherapy three times a week. I don't know how chemo works, but... And I can beat this if I do that. My hair is going to fall out. I'm going to be sick as a dog. But I can't miss it and I've got to stay on that regime. i got news for you. You'd endure that. Because you find time for things that are important. Yes? So don't tell me you don't have time for the Word of God. I don't have time to spend with the creator of the universe who holds the heavens in the span of his hand, that when he speaks, the heavens are created, and that he called Lazarus' his name, and he came forth from the dead, and that his word brings life, and that it's transforming. I don't have time for that. I need coffee. <laughs> How, what's the average amount of time that an American spends in front of the idiot box in the corner of his living room? You know, alpha waves, the... Window into hell, the TV. Just, why don't you shut that off for 45 minutes? Just shut it off. Shut it off for the rest of the day. And open up the word. Amen? So he meditates on it day and night. And then after he says, don't do this, but do this, this is what's going to happen. Check this out. This is what's going to happen in your life. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in season. His leaf will not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty solid deal. He promises. Whatever you do, you will prosper. And then look at this. If you don't believe me, let me give you a contrast, God says. If you want to reverse it and do what I told you not to do and not do what I'm telling you to do, let me show you what will happen. The ungodly are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Did anybody see the thing with um, Liberace? 
I didn't see the show, but I read about it. What a, what a sad life. Frank Sinatra on his deathbed, his final words were, I'm losing. I did it my way. That's the theme song in hell, by the way. I mean, go through Elvis's mansion, the jungle room. It's rotting sheets and clothes. But Elvis wore it. You know what Elvis is saying right now, wherever he is? Who cares? You know what John Lennon's saying right now, wherever he is? Don't listen to my music. I have no idea what I was talking about. The idea of, imagine there's no heaven. He's going, what was I thinking? It's so important to us at this moment, but let me just show you all the things you're living for. I did this with my son. When 11 to 12 years of age, we did a walkabout. It was this transition into manhood. It was a rite of passage. I took him to a cemetery. I had him sit with some godly men. I, 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 took, I, I just took him to all these different areas. One area that I wanted to, I described it to him, but I, took, I, I couldn't get in. They, the gate was locked. I wanted to take him to a dump, the town dump. Every Christmas gift that you wanted, every little trinket that you needed to have, just look out there. It's chaff. They're just, it's being buried. And it was so important to you then. And it's just junk. Just junk. He says, that's what happens with the ungodly. Not only does it just blow away with the wind, but you end up in hell. And then he says, verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Bible says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. But the way of the ungodly will perish. Separation from God for all eternity. First of all, the only way to obtain happiness is to have a relationship with the living God. In Him is the fullness of joy. Don't walk, don't stand, and don't sit in the way of the sinner or the scornful or the counsel of the ungodly. Don't do it. Delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. And you're going to be given a promise. And that is the happiness of life. It's not found anywhere else. It just isn't. I want to, in the time remaining, um, let's do this. Um, I want people who can read loudly. So, Brett, I'm going to give you Ephesians 2.6. Can you take Ephesians 4.1? Chuck, I'm going to give you Ephesians 6.11. And the rest of you can turn to either one of those that you'd like. Now, walk, stand, sit. Walk, stand, sit. Walk, stand, sit, right? Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor, nor stand in the way of the sinner, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, right? Let's see what God has to say about that. This is what God desires for your life. You're first, Brett. Yeah. And raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So God intends that we wouldn't be sitting in the seat of the scornful, but we're going to be sitting and seated in heavenly places. He's got a throne. We're going to be joining him in that relation. So that's the picture of sit. This is what God wants for you. Not in the scornful. Don't grow old and be bitter and be in Las Vegas at the buffet line all frustrated because there's no more shrimp. It's ridiculous. And, And complain about everything. That's so much fun. People love old people who complain. Ah, different when I was younger and they didn't know what I was doing. Nobody even wants to give you pudding. <laughs> Amen? But there's, oh man, there's nothing like the splendor of gray hair with wisdom. And they walk into a room, you're like, what can I get you? You contrast with somebody who's never walked with the Lord, you get gray hair and bitterness. The only thing about old people who never walk with the Lord is they're worse than children because you can't spank them. Just thought I'd tell you that. All right. What do we got, Ken? Stand up. Say it loud. 
walk worthy of the calling for which you were called. God has delivered you from death unto life. You're no longer a slave to sin, you're a slave to to righteousness. And you walk according to that. Don't don't hinder your, 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 you're running a race. Don't walk with luggage. Let it go. Could you imagine a guy running in a race with a briefcase and a suitcase in the Olympics? He's not winning anything. Well, I got gold in this one. And the angels are like, what, pavement? Yeah. Okay, who's got the last one? Stand up, Chuck. Stand. And as we saw in Galatians 5, when the Bible commands us that we are to stand, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ has set us free. There's a boldness that when you sit in the counsel of God and you walk with him, when the trials come, you can stand firm and not be moved. You are like a tree planted by streams of living water. You shall not be moved. Amen. So, now let's take a look at one more thing. By the way, did you know that uh, this idea of of ungodly counsel, how it just, it, in the, was, the baby made me think of this, ungodly counsel. Do you guys remember almost every book in the 60s and 70s, I was raised with it, Dr. Spock on how to raise kids? Yeah. When he got old, do you realize he renounced it and said, I had no idea what I was talking about? <laughs> That's worldly counsel. Don't spank them. Bible says, if you spare the rod, you hate the child. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Oh, but yeah, no, no, no. Just let them experience who they are. Let them express themselves. No. You'll speak when I move on. All right, let's, uh, let's go real quick to Genesis chapter 13. This is what we'll close with tonight. Genesis chapter 13. Okay, now hold your place, if you would, in Genesis 13, and then turn with me to, I think it's, uh, let's go to Peter. It's after James. And I want to see if it's first or second Peter. Um, I think it's second Peter. Uh, yeah, here we go. Second Peter. My Bible's torn. Where did I put it? Do you guys see Lot in Second Peter? Yeah, here it is. Yeah, Second Peter chapter two. All right, Second Peter chapter two. Ready? I love this passage. It's one of my favorites. Second Peter chapter two. And look at verse four. It says, "For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world." But save Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. But he delivered, look at that, he delivered who? Righteous Lot, who was oppressed with the filthy conduct of the wicked for that what? Say it. Righteous man dwelling among them tormented his what? From day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, right? Righteous lot, righteous man, righteous soul. Let's say it together. Righteous lot. Righteous man. Righteous soul. That's pretty cool. I mean, that is really impressive to me. How would you like to have your name in the Bible... Not once, not twice, but three times, and next to your name, the word righteous. That's pretty solid. Anyone? Come on. Work with me. That's really amazing. I want to be like this guy. Okay, Genesis 13. Genesis 13. 
Abram went up from Egypt, and he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot was with him. Lot is his nephew, and they went to the south, and Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made, and first there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot, verse 5, also went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and now the land was not able to support them both, and they, they couldn't dwell together there. And there was strife between their herdsmen, it says in verse 7, um, between Abram's and Lot's. And, and so Abram, verse 8, said to Lot, listen, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Verse 9, it's not the, uh, is it not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you go to the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes, saw that all the plain of the Jordan that was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord in the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. So Lot is going, they'd just been kicked out of Egypt, by the way, because Abram lied. And Lot's like, uh, now, now they're, their herds are growing big, and Lot is upset, and his guys are upset. And so Abram goes, look, why don't we separate so there's no fight? If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. And so Lot goes, oh, okay. So he looks at it, and he goes, oh, this area looks just like Egypt. So he'd already fallen in love with Egypt. And he says, this area looks just like Egypt. And so he signs up. He says, I want to I take this area. So Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, verse 12, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent where? As far as Sodom. That's where we get the word sodomy. Anyone know what that word means? Or I should say anyone who doesn't know what that word means. It's a lifestyle. It's a choice. Sodomy. Yeah. Uh, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Okay? And so the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look. And he goes on to say, I want to make your descendants as numerous as stars in the sky. And so Abram's really blessed by that. And here's righteous Lot, righteous man, righteous soul, moves to Sodom. He is, he is of the elect. He's a righteous man. Why are we righteous, by the way? What makes us righteous? Jesus Christ. Is it our, our works or his grace. his grace? We receive it by faith. His righteousness is put on our account. Not what we did, but what he did, right? So, yeah, we're sinners in the room, but we're righteous because of what Christ has done. He's paid the penalty for our sin. He's put his righteousness on our account. He's imputed it to us. The scripture said, big word means you go to your ATM and there's a billion dollars. You didn't earn it. He gave it to you. Bingo. I like it. Takes our sin, gives us eternal life. So Lot is righteous, but here's what he begins to do. He's walking in the way of the ungodly, and he pitches his tent in Sodom. He walks down to Sodom and says, hey, this is kind of neat. So now we got a problem. Righteous man, righteous soul, righteous lot. Let's go further. Ready? Chapter 14. Came to pass in the days of uh, Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Eleazar, Chedeloamor, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of of nations, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, etc., etc., all these joined together in the Valley of Siddim, uh, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served this guy in the 14th year. This guy and the kings, they were going to fight and stuff was happening. And then other things took place. And then they, verse 7, they turned back and came to En Mishfat. And you can read about that. And they attacked those dudes and the Malachites were there and stuff happened. It was kind of hip. And then verse 8, the king of Sodom. There we go. The king of Gomorrah. The king of Adma, et cetera, et cetera, they went out to battle in the valley of Siddim against this Chedolaemor, the king of Elam, and uh, the four kings against five. And now in the valley of Siddim, verse 10, was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, and some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. In verse 11, then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother, who what? Dwelt, stand, stood, dwelt, resided, pitched his tent. They took him because he was dwelling, he was standing in Sodom and his goods, and then they departed. We go to find out later that Abram saves Lot, delivers him, and all is well. Kind of cool, yes? Isn't that lovely? It would be neat if the story ended there, but it doesn't, alas, Abram was praying, and God said, you know what? 
the evil of Sodom and Gomorrah has risen to me and I'm going to destroy it. And Abram was praying and he, he knew his, his, his nephew Lot was there and he says, God, please, if there were 50 righteous, would you save the city? And he said, for 50 righteous, I'd save the city. He said, for 40. He said, for 40 righteous, I'd save the city. 30. He bargains it down to 10. He goes, God, I'm telling you, 10, would you, would you save it for 10? He says, for 10 righteous, I would. We know the city's about 10,000 people, so it's for every one righteous person, a thousand people would be saved, right? And, and so he says, God, for 10, he says, for 10. But there weren't even 10 righteous in the land. And God says, I'm going to send my angel to deliver Lot because Abram was interceding and praying for him. And watch this, chapter 19. We'll close with this, chapter 19. Yeah, we're going to close with one other thing. This is going to be fun. Now, two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. He said, Here, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you can rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, we will not spend the night in the open, we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. And then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. See, he still has faith because he understands this idea of unleavened bread. And now when they lay down, the men of the city of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. They called to Lot and they said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. How? Do do I need to explain this? All of the men, young and old, wanted to have sex with the angels that looked like men. This is a pretty screwed up city. Oh, oh, but nowadays with, you know, interpretation, oh, no, no, no. God was judging the city because Lot wasn't hospitable, and the city wasn't hospitable. That's why God rained down fire and brimstone, because of their lack of hospitality. I was reading this. I don't quite catch that here. They wanted to know them carnally, so Lot went out to them. And by the way, he was sitting in the gate, which means the idea is he's a council member of the city of so- cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's a player in the city. He has so compromised his walk that he's lost perspective altogether. Watch how bad it gets. They called Lot, said to him, where are the men? Bring them out so we may know them carnally. Verse 6, so Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, please, my brethren, my brethren, he's calling them brothers, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you that you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason that they've come under the shadow of my roof. Here, just abuse my daughters. What? Wait a minute, time out. Are you telling me righteous lot, righteous man, righteous soul? And this is the guy we're reading about? Who wants to give his virgin daughters to the perverts of Sodom and Gomorrah to do with as they please? I was a youth pastor for a number of years. And I, and I saw, as a youth pastor, I saw how Christian parents would take their kids and throw them to the world because they wanted everybody to like them and they wanted to fit in. And they let them abuse their mind with which they watch. They let them abuse their, their bodies by letting them go to parties. They let go. So before we dump on Lot, let's remember, I mean, I see this in our culture today. I know Christian parents who've taken their kids to get abortions. Not so different, is it? Why is he righteous? How can a righteous man do this? How can God call him righteous? This is, he, he didn't call him righteous in the Old Testament. He called him righteous in the New Testament. He not only called Lot righteous, he called his soul righteous. He called him as a man righteous. It gets worse. 
They get out of the city. His wife turns back longingly. He's turned into a pillar of salt. He makes it to the mountains, hides in a cave with his two daughters. Guess what he does then? He gets drunk and sleeps with both of them and impregnates them. This guy's whacked. Incest. Is it, how can God call him righteous? Is there anyone else in here? Does this not bug you? Bugs me. Let's turn to Corinthians. We'll close with this, I promise. If you're asking me where, I don't know. Yes, I do. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But before we read that, look at me if you would. Do you remember the story of Daniel? Belshazzar was partying that night, do you remember? He was, he was, he was having a huge party in Babylon. Just drinking. They, 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 had, they had everything. They were mixing tequila and Goldschlager and everything else. And they were lit like lights. And they were hammered. And he goes, Yo, go, get, go get the holy vessels. That we got from the temple when we ransacked Israel. Bring him in. Let's party with the holy vessels of the living God. (laughs) So they brought the holy vessels into the room. And Belshazzar held up the goblet and poured wine into it. And he drank and he praised the gods of gold and wood and straw. He praised the gods God's plural creatures drank, mocked God, scorned him, sat in the presence of the wicked as they collapsed in drunkenness, fondling the holy vessels, pouring wine into them. And then all of a sudden, a finger appears without an arm attached. Whoa. That is a bad trip. I don't know what he was mixing that night, but the finger appears and it begins to scratch into the wall and write, meeny, meeny, teka farzel. What is that? Daniel reports, you king, have been weighed in the balance and have been found wanting. And this night you will be destroyed. Watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 11. No one, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, remember Belshazzar, each one's work will become manifest for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved... Yet so is through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple, you are a vessel of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the vessel or the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are, which vessel you are. This is my point. We always want to know, is what I loved in, in youth ministry. The kids would always say, how, how far can I go and, and still be cool with God? I mean, am I still going to heaven if I, if I have premarital sex? Am I still going to heaven if I drink? Kids are honest. Yes. You can have sex tonight and still go to heaven. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you can. 
Serious? Yes, I am. Whoa. Can I drink? Yep, all things are permissible. Yeah. You got your get out of hell free card. He's been placed in the Father's hand no man can remove. Whoa. Some of you are going, Pastor, what are you saying? Hang on. I look at him and I say, I take him through this and I say, just remember this. When you go to that party tonight or you want to hook up with that person, here's what I'd ask you to do. Look him in the eye and say, I'm so selfish. I'd rather have you go to hell for fondling a holy vessel so that I can get what I want. See, I'm still going to heaven, but to hell with you. See, when you ask the question, can I do this and still go to heaven? You got it all backwards. You've been saved to serve and to lead people to Christ. You've been saved to sin. Walk, therefore. Stand, sit in the presence of God that you might stand firm in the day of trial and walk in the presence of the Lord. Lead others to Christ. It's not about you. You have been ransomed. You've been delivered. You've been saved to serve, not saved to sin. It's not about you anymore. You see, everyone who handled the vessels died that night. And when you pour wine into a Christian and you fondle a Christian, the Christian goes to heaven, but everyone who's touched him goes to hell. We're on this earth to proclaim Christ, not to indulge our flesh. Quit asking the question, can I sin and still go to heaven? Quit being so stinking selfish. It's not about you anymore. You have been saved to serve. You get it? Yeah, Lot got to heaven. And he was righteous. But guess what? Not a single member of his family came as a result of his testimony. Not one. And for generations after him came two races of people that were enemies of God's people that were the children of the byproduct of his incest. When you indulge in that adultery, when you divorce your spouse, when you, you know the heartache. If you could go back and fix it, you would. You know the train wreck that's behind you. We all know that. Let's be the generation of the righteous that stand, sit, and walk in the presence of God. And clean it up. Let's have a testimony. Let's not be saved by fire like Lot, that we can have our name righteous, but we have nothing to show for it. We are buck naked in heaven. You contrast that with Abraham. You know how many people are in heaven as a result of Abraham's faithfulness? Well, look around the room. He's the father of the faith. You're here because of Abraham. Not because of Lot. Lot got there and didn't help you one bit. But Abraham, his life led you to the Savior we now love. You can be an Abraham or a Lot. And that's all based on Psalm 1. You want to be happy? Don't walk, stand, or sit with the ungodly or the sinner or the scornful. But delight yourself in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. You'll be like a tree planted by streams of living water that will produce its fruit in season and whatever you do will prosper. Amen? Amen. Five minutes to spare. Any questions? Yes. Yeah. Joy is a state of being. Happiness is an emotion. I think it's pretty, it's pretty solid. And then what I say is, is joy is, is, is God and happiness. From circumstances, yeah. That's good, good insight. You were going to say? Amen. And as we went and saw a movie, 
mockery. It is Belshazzar. It is quoting the Bible, it is using the Bible, and it is mocking it boldly. This is the first movie that's coming out in theaters and at the same time coming out on DVR, so nobody misses it. Yeah. So looking with our spiritual eyes, there's a bigger battle going on now. It's huge. The Alliance Defense Fund said of the ruling, uh, talking to our attorney, the Alliance Defense Fund said of, said of the ruling, it is the most shocking ruling they've seen. It's almost capricious what this judge did. But some of the greatest cases in U.S. history have always been won on appeal. So, and you know what? Again, I'm not in, I'm not in charge of the outcome. I'm just called to be faithful. But we're, we're going to keep going. So full speed ahead. Any, anyone else? Some thoughts, insights, questions? Any questions? I can't answer that. I don't even know what they're saying. All right, let's close with prayer. Lord, thank you for this night, and thank you for your word. Lord, we, we want to be Ab- Abrahams, not Lot's. Lord, we want to we meditate on your word day and night. We want to delight ourselves in the law of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you give us that heart, that you give us a supernatural love for your word. Every person in this room that they would ask of you, God, would you please give me a supernatural love for your word that I would wake up every day longing for it. Lord, give me an addiction to the word of God. That's a healthy addiction. And so, Lord, I pray that you do that in our lives. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) All right, bless you guys.